Just a warning that the following episode contains details of domestic violence, including sexual violence. A listener production. Each time we hear about the latest incident of domestic violence, we're quick to say how terrible it all is. Governments throw some money at it. A family violence foundation is sometimes formed out of tragedy. But the shocking death toll doesn't seem to budge. But what if we considered tackling domestic violence to be a shared responsibility, one in which all of us has a role to play in supporting survivors and working towards a future free from abuse? Look, often people don't step in to help because of social norms that for years have told us that these are private problems. Or maybe we don't say anything out of fear we'll lose that friend or that the perpetrator will turn on us. So what can you do to support a friend or relative experiencing domestic violence? Emily Maguire is the CEO of Respect Victoria. Emily, thanks for your time today. It's been a few shocking weeks in family violence news. How bad are things at the moment? And is anything shifting? I think progress when it comes to changing something as significant as family violence and violence against women, I think looks different to what people expect. Actually, what the research tells us is where we're at right now is in a phase of increased reporting as a result of really good public discussion and as a result of a policy focus on this issue. Women now feel like they are comfortable to say something, to get support. People recognise it much better than they did even five years ago Mm. and that's a sign of change. And we know that unless you invest in preventing violence against women, so changing the culture that allows to happen in the first place, we're never going to see real progress in in driving down those rates in the long term. So on the one hand, um, in the short term, increased reporting is a result of increased awareness. But those figures, the annual figures of how many people or how many largely women are dying, that's, that's yet to shift. It is. It is absolutely. And that's one of the the last things you see shift, which is a horrible and a terrifying thing for women who are, who are living in violent relationships where they are in fear of their life. But without a doubt, there are absolutely things that we can, we Mm. can do both in making sure that there are fewer women dying, but also in kind of shifting the sort of attitudes and norms and cultures that drive violence against women and family violence in the first place. And it's they're not just big structural policy changes. They are things that we can do in our everyday lives. And that's exactly what I want to chat to you about, the sorts of things an individual can do if they witness or they think that there's domestic violence going on with a friend or, or a colleague. Um, but before we get on to that, I, I just want to explore whether you think it's fair to say, and I read an uh, opinion piece recently that suggested that Australia is tone deaf to domestic violence. Um, do you think we're tone deaf or that we've just become really good at blocking our ears because it's, it feels so hard and so overwhelming? Look, I think it's probably a bit of a combination. I think when really intractable social issues like family violence, climate change is another really good example. When they, when the dial doesn't appear to be shifting as individuals, we can feel overwhelmed. It can feel hopeless. You can think, what on earth can I do if these big global corporations are still pumping out fossil fuels Mm. or the women in my life aren't dying? So this is not a problem in my life. And we know that a really worrying proportion of people think that that family violence is just happening out there, not in their suburb. That's one of the things that we've got to shift is help people realise that they will know someone in their immediate family or in their broader family life or in their 
uh, workplace or in their friendship group who is currently who, who has used violence. This is a problem that in some way, shape or form is going to reach every single one of us. But let's talk about the different manifestations of family violence, because looking for a bruised eye or scratches is just one end of it. Um, can you talk me through the different ways domestic violence can present? So one of the things that people will do when they are trying to test whether it's safe to disclose their experiences to you, whether it's your kid or, or your um, sister or a work colleague, is they're never going to come out and say, my partner belted me last night. And we know that lots of violent relationships are actually characterised by coercion and control and financial manipulation as opposed to, as you say, the, the kind of black eye. Some of the things that you can look out for is if women are saying that they feel nervous or anxious about going home, if their partner is always jealous, if they talk about their partner not really liking their friends or their family or saying, oh, he doesn't like it when I do that, those are all, all warning signs. Women talking about feeling that they have got a, you know, there's only a certain amount they can spend. If they if they appear anxious about things that should be a normal part of everyday life, mm. then that can often be a warning sign. And it's important to open that conversation gently at first and just say, I can hear that you, there's probably some stuff that sounds like was happening in your relationship that doesn't feel great for you. I just want to let you know that I'm always here to talk if you want to tell me anything. Let them talk at their own pace. If you push someone, it will just shut them down because they don't know if you're going to back them, if you're going to support them. We know that lots of Australians hold pretty negative attitudes around family violence and attitudes that really blame the victim. And so mm. women are wanting to, to test you out before they before they feel safe to tell their story. And language really matters, doesn't it? In addition to not pointing out or not using labels, how important is it to, to listen and to, to perhaps not offer advice which can inadvertently blame the victim? Absolutely. One of the things that all of the research tells us and all of the women who um, experience violence talk about is that listening and believing are the things that make the most difference. And believing doesn't mean fundamentally accepting absolutely every single thing as gospel. It just means doing things that you've talked about, not asking a whole bunch of questions, not offering suggestions and advice. Because let me guarantee you, nine times out of ten, they will have thought about all of those things and there's a reason that they haven't. When we're talking about family violence, it is incredibly insidious, it is hard to see, it is hard to understand, and it's incredibly important that you trust that woman and that she's the best judge of her own safety. If she says, I can't leave right now or I'm too scared to leave, you need to let her guide that because she is the best judge of of what is a risk for her. And we know that leaving violent relationships mm. is a really significant risk time for murder. I want to talk about the cyclical pattern because sometimes things can be quite bad or you identify, you sense in a, in a friend or a loved one that they're dealing with something on the home front. How important is it to, to check in again? Because the research tells us something about cycles of abuse. It absolutely does. And it also tells us that on average, it takes a woman seven attempts to leave her partner. If you have a conversation with her and she does leave, it's pretty likely that she'll go back and there's a range of very good reasons. Some of those reasons are safety reasons. Some of them are financial. Sometimes they don't have a house. Sometimes he says that he'll change his behaviour and he goes to a men's behaviour change program and you you hope because this is the person that you love that things are going to get better. There's usually this fundamental level of control mm. and it's very subtle sometimes. It's often just an innate feeling and sometimes all it takes is a sort of a cocked eyebrow from a perpetrator for a woman to know 
that she better not step any further out of that, whatever that line is in her relationship. Um, so it can be really, really hard to see. And I think what that means is that people will think that there's this really up and down cycle to violence. And there absolutely can be. It's not um, necessarily that there's constant physical violence, but what there is constantly is a threat. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily need to be an explicit verbal threat. We also know that men who use violence are really intentional about their behaviour, both their violent behaviour and their good guy behaviour in Mm. public. You know, men who use violence Mm. in the home don't suddenly lose it and get so angry in a workplace that they punch their boss because they know that that is not socially acceptable. What is is for them to be to use violence against their partner? So some of that sort of stuff in terms of the sort of what we used to refer to as the cycle of violence, it's not that it doesn't happen, but it, it looks different for different people. And there can often be times at which that underlying threat is always there, but they can also not be hurting you or not controlling your finances or can be really good with the kids or have stopped denigrating you for a period of, of weeks. And then it will always pick up again. What about perpetrators? Like, is it worth telling them that you know something is happening or that you're worried? And I've been in social situations where I've seen verbal abuse um, towards a woman. This particular woman was really rattled. When I spoke up in that circumstance, she got quite upset with me because she said it would make things worse for her. Yes, it's 100% the thing that women will often say is that um, it just made it worse because it was you, her fault that you spoke up, mm-hmm. even though there's no rational reason for that. That's what he will say to her and she will get punished. So the thing that we encourage people to do is if you see an incident of violence, if you see an incident of abuse, if you can call the police and make sure that people are safe, intervening in a moment of violence is often an unsafe thing to do, not only for that woman but for yourself as well. Waiting until after the the incident of verbal abuse or Mm. physical abuse or whatever it is and walking up to her and saying, are you okay? Can I walk somewhere with you? Do you need any help? Instead of confronting him, confronting the perpetrator is often the worst thing that people can do, particularly if he's a sort of a serial violent perpetrator in their relationship life Mm. because it can be something that she can get punished for. It is really important, though, not to stay silent. I don't want people to hear that and, and think, oh, I, I better not say anything because it will make it worse. What's important is when you say something that you say it to that victim. If you're friends with someone who you think or you know is using violence, confronting them is not going to be helpful. But saying to them outside of their relationship context, hey, I want to have a chat to you about how things are going in your relationship. I reckon I could support you. I reckon there's some stuff that might help you and I'm I'm here for you and, and I will back you and I will, I will support you through this journey. Those are the sorts of things that really work with um, men who are using violence and it's important that particularly their male friends are holding them to account but doing that in quite a gentle and a careful way because it can exacerbate violence, absolutely. circumstances in which a sister or a friend uh, may over time have shared with you that they are in a violent relationship, but they've made you promise that you're not going to do anything or tell anyone. What happens when you have genuine fears for their safety, that there are some red flags? Do you kind of break that pledge not to say anything and, and, and turn to an authority? I would never encourage people to call the police if the person you are concerned about has explicitly said to you don't because usually they are telling you that it will increase their risk if you do. 
what you can do is to talk to someone that you trust about the experience and ideally talking to someone who's actually a specialist. Most of the uh, family violence counselling services and sexual assault counselling services around the country take calls from friends and family and you can call and have a conversation with someone and say, this is the situation that my friend is in. She's told me not to do anything, but I'm really terrified because I can see that his violence has escalated. Looking Mm. for a change in violence is one of the kind of things to look out for. And getting some advice from them about how to navigate her is a really good thing. I don't want to sort of provide broad advice because it's so context specific, but I would encourage people to be okay with breaking that confidence if you're calling a specialist family violence support service to get advice. The other thing that's really important to do is just making sure that she knows that you're, if it's feasible, that your door is always open. Mm. If she needs to, she can just turn up at your door and stay there for a few nights or she can always call you or you always answer your phone. Um, You can do things like have safety words. So she texts you, you know, I don't know, a banana Mm. and, you know, you know that that's her sign to say that you need to come over to the house or there's a whole range of things that you can work out in advance so that if things do get really risky, really tricky, she knows that you're part of her escape route, even if that escape route is just for a night. And I know these cases can be so specific, but broadly speaking, what are some signs of, of high risk? You mentioned trying to leave a relationship. Are there any other, other red flags that people should look out for? There are times at which women are more at risk of lethal violence, which is absolutely in uh, the the six-month period before leaving a relationship, so when you're in that intent-to-leave stage because often your behaviour changes towards your partner, and two to three years post-separation. So um, it's that that continues to be a really high-risk period. That, that's a big period. It is a very big period. And this is why women, it takes women so long to leave mm-hmm. because they know, and, and when you contact a support service, they'll help you understand that your risk doesn't, automatically drop mm. off when, when when you've left the relationship. I think um, always encouraging her to get support from a specialist service before she leaves is a really good thing. I think there's uh, lots of support that is available out there and when she gets that first inkling to leave is, is a really good time to seek support because they will help her manage her safety risk. Making sure that she knows that you're always going to be there, knowing what your boundaries are so you don't actually, if it's not safe for you, if you've got little kids or you, you, it's not safe for you to open up your house to her because he might also turn up there, then it's okay not to do that. You need to also be mindful of your own health and well-being and your own safety. I think the other thing is that, uh, we, you know, we often talk about making sure that we're supporting our friends and just knowing that your door is always open, your ear is always there. That is really significant for women and it can be an ongoing conversation It's and it's really tiring and you have to look after yourself as part of that. But one of the other things that we uh, at Respect Victoria, we're always really trying to have conversations with people about is also about what they can do as individuals to change the culture that is driving violence against women in the first place. And, and there's there are things that people can do in their day-to-day lives, in their workplaces, in their relationships, in their friendship groups with their kids that really go a long way towards shifting that culture that means that violence against women is is very normalised in our country. I think these are things that people often think, well, that's really small. How could it possibly help? But these are all things that address what the research tells us is the underlying cause of violence against women. So um, speaking out if your friend makes a sexist or a homophobic joke and, you know, merely just saying, mate, not funny, Mm. is enough to challenge a a peer culture. It can be normalising conversations about sex and consent and pleasure in your friendship groups because that breaks down the culture of silence that surrounds um, sexual violence. You can talk to your kids about harmful gender stereotypes and let them know that you will love them if they are their own authentic selves, Mm -hmm. whatever that is, regardless of what their, you know, their kinder says 
they can play with as toys or what gets pushed on them from a marketing perspective. So all of those things create a culture where violence is much less likely to happen. CEO of Respect Victoria, Emily Maguire there. You can call 1-800-RESPECT if you have questions or concerns and you'll be guided by a professional on what to do to best support your loved one living with family violence. And of course, there's a huge role that policymakers and law enforcers play in putting an end to family violence. And I'd never want to downplay that big piece of this deadly puzzle. But me, you and everyone you know plays a role too. How we speak about family violence more broadly is so important. And I learned to heap including things I've been doing wrong when I think I'm helping by challenging or calling out a perpetrator that I've learnt can be quite dangerous and problematic and needs to be handled very carefully. And that number again is 1-800-RESPECT. Please look after yourself and the people you love. Listener.